Hey, it's Eric Halkerin. Today on Behind the Headlines, we're talking with Ron Fonger and Ryan Stanton about the challenges of covering a dysfunctional city council. And I'll let the commentary happen in the podcast. As I said, our guests today, Ron Funger and Ryan Stanton, and as always, my co-host, Vice President of Content for MLive, the one, the only, the consummate, John Heiner. John, how are you? Thank you, Eric, for that kind introduction, as always. It's good to be back on Behind the Headlines after a couple weeks of hiatus, spring hiatus. Any listener who's been tuning in for a while knows that MLive is made up of uh, eight separate newspaper, traditional newspaper communities, um, and they're all lovable in their own way, and they're all very, very different. Um, but one thing that we have in common is we cover all the, the governments of these communities, um, you know, and we try to cover them with the same sense of, of professionalism and, and importance that we bring to the work because we know how vital it is to people's everyday lives. Um, and there's a lot of substance there to be covered, a lot of policy, and I think we're judicious about what we cover and what we don't. But also sometimes it's a little more difficult to get to the the root of the import of these stories because of uh, various uh, challenges we run into in reporting on these public bodies. And I'm going to read you uh, here, Eric, just a couple headlines um, that will set the tone for today. Uh, this one was uh, January 17th, 2022, by reporter Ryan Stanton. Ann Arbor is one of Michigan's great cities, so why is its government such a mess? And then right up uh, M23, or US23, excuse me, um, on April 26th of this year, a story by Ron Fonger, Flint councilman taken out of meeting in handcuffs. So we sometimes run into um, uh, issues and controversies that uh, really uh, don't have anything to do with the policy themselves, but, but really inform the stories. And so here today to kind of pick this apart with me and talk about how we separate the sizzle from the steak are the two reporters I just mentioned up in Flint, Michigan, Ron Fonger. Welcome to Behind the Headlines. Hello. And down the road in Ann Arbor, Ryan Stanton. Thank you, Ryan, for joining us today. Thanks, John. I, I think this is my third time on your podcast, so I'm just two away from my five-timers club jacket, right? That is correct, and you also get to come into the special lounge that we have um, and enjoy all the amenities that are in there. Um, LaCroix. <laughs> COVID mask, leftover N95 masks that we have stacks of. So uh, anyways, I, I hope I set it up properly, but you guys do amazing work because there are some really important issues uh, that we cover in these communities. Um, uh, like I said, public policy, business development up in Flint, obviously. Uh, Ron, you were in court today with some issues with the Flint water crisis. But it seems like a lot of times we're writing about dysfunction or we're writing about conflict, and conflict's a normal part of politics, I guess. But tell me, if you would, start with you, Ryan, because Ann Arbor is really something. Um, uh, both of these communities, by the way, have meetings that go till 2 in the morning and, or, or even later, I've heard. Uh, so how do you professionally sort what the issue is from the conflict and then you know, keep the story on track about what the story is actually about rather than the personalities of the conflict. Yeah, well, just to kind of, like, set the stage for background for people who may not be familiar with Ann Arbor politics if they're tuning in from other parts of the state. I mean, we have, you know, everybody on city council here, the mayor and all 10 council members are Democrats, uh, but there's two factional divisions within the Democratic Party where 
you know, and the power balance and the city council keeps shifting and, you know, it's either split 7-4 this way or 4-7 the other way. It's gone back and forth, you know, from election to election. And, you know, these two sides just really go at each other. Um, you know, you got the mayor and his allies versus, you know, the other faction that's in the minority right now. Uh, and, yeah, they just, you can tell at these meetings, they really personally don't like each other. They take pot shots at each other. You know, some of it gets pretty petty sometimes. Some of it's uh, fair criticism, you know, and you just got to gotta weigh it all and, and, and say, you know, how much of this do readers really need to read? And uh, they don't need every play-by-play of it all, and we certainly don't try to play it up uh, more than it should be. But we, we hold up a mirror where, where, it's, uh, where it's due and uh, shed light on some of those divisions while trying to cut through those to just get to the heart of the matter and say, what's, what, what, is city- what, what have they voted on and what does this mean for residents? So we get away a lot when we, we sit through those long meetings, as you say, they can go to the early morning hours. Right, and Ron, uh, Flint is, is really crazy. I, the councilman that I mentioned um, got led away in handcuffs. That was the second time that happened in the last five or six years. Is that correct? Yeah, it's hap- it, it depends on how you end up describing it. Sometimes he leaves on his own. His, the councilman's Eric Mays. He's a, uh, the longest-serving member of the council in Flint, and uh, he's a lightning rod Um He's got his supporters and he's got his detractors too. And it's just very, it's become very uh, personal. He's been removed from meetings more than 10 times um, in his life. And uh, so that's how, when it comes to a boil, that's often how it ends. He ends up being let out. Right. And you know, at what point guys is the work being impeded and at what point does that become the story? I mean, I know you're judicious about if there's bickering or whatever, not including that in the story, perhaps, unless it's germane. But at what point do you say, boy, the dysfunction and, and Ryan, your story from January, I think maybe shows that there's a culmination where you have to step back and take a, a broader view of it. But uh, at, what, at what point is that really uh, a, a impediment to government working? Um, I was going to let Ron go first, but uh, I'll jump I can in. go. <laughs> oh, it sounds like his has actually disrupted meetings more than mine, which is why I was going to let him go first, because uh, I haven't had council members, you know, dragged away from meetings or, you know, we've had protesters at meetings that are really disruptive, get dragged away, you know, by police or, or escorted out. Uh, and, uh, you know, actually, there was one meeting I covered where uh, a group of unruly protesters actually shut down the entire council meeting where they had to recess it into the, the side chambers. And, you know, the, the protesters actually took over the council seats and sat down and said, we're having our own council meeting now. And so, yeah, it, government has been disrupted at times uh, with uh, how, uh, you know, like I said, unruly some of these meetings can get. I think that's where you where you do have to kind of draw the line when it when it becomes so clear that um that this is impeding the getting the city's business done um if i wrote about every argument insult uh that gets passed back and forth between the city council we'd never end up covering the city's business so even every time someone's removed from a meeting, I don't necessarily write a story about it, but I put it in the back of my mind. And if we have another one next week and um, 
kind of handle it that way. Yeah, and we talked about the, you know, it's interesting dynamics because uh, a lot of the polarization in America is Republican, Democrat, and that's not necessarily in play in these two cities, which are very liberal cities, but they do have different social, cultural, political issues, his different histories. Um, I had once had someone tell me that people in Ann Arbor were smart and mean. <laughs> it seems like some of the the back and forth in the commission, Ryan, is smart people uh, really digging in uh, over philosophical differences, or perhaps, like you say, the factions that that they're in. And uh, you, in one of your stories, there was a, a quip a guy made, it's like Seinfeld, where they need Festivus and they can have a big meeting where they can air their grievances. But it seems to be endemic. It just seems to continue, Ryan. And, and what have they tried to do to address that? And what has worked or not? Yeah, and I guess, you know, I wouldn't say all 11 council members participate, you know, some, some stay out of the fray. Uh, and, it, it, you know, some, some would say, you know, it's just a, a few or so that really stir the pot and, you know, get back and forth at each other at meetings. You know, all the rest just kind of sit there and watch and, uh, and wait for their turn to make their, their calm point. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, the council had a retreat a couple of Decembers ago where they, they, they said, okay, how do we move beyond bickering? And then they just bickered for an hour about what, what they should do to move beyond bickering. Uh, they, and they came up with a whole list of new rules for the council. You know, uh, let's try to limit speaking times. Uh, if, if you make personal attacks, here's the reprimand process, you know, and they've gone through that. They've stripped a few council members of committee assignments in the past year for, you know, things they said at meetings or outside of meetings or, or things they did, um, including uh, some vulgar language on social media in uh, one or two cases. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of stuff like that. And they did try to set a rule to end, end meetings by 11 p.m. And uh, they have not always lived up to that. Uh, that you know, like I said, meetings before could go to 3.30 or sometimes even 4 in the morning. Um, and, you know, uh, with this new let's try to end by 11 p.m. guideline, uh, last night, the city's annual budget deliberations, which was a pretty heated uh, uh, two-hour budget discussion that followed two hours of deliberations on other issues before that. Um, that, that meeting uh, ended just a little under 11.30 p.m., so a little under four and a half hours, you know, from its start at 7 p.m. So that to me was like, oh, cool, early, early meeting. I'm, I'm done before midnight. I get to go to bed by midnight. So <laughs> this, Okay, and I'm going to switch back to Flint for a second because, Ron, some of the dynamics there are a little bit different. Like we talked about some personal issues, um, but in some of the cast characters has changed, but uh, some haven't. But also race tends to be, seems to be an element there. And you've just written the stories about, um, you know, a, a council member who happened to be white who made a comment under her breath during a meeting of, uh, directed towards a, a black councilwoman. And it had racial undertones. And how much of what the problems in Flint are personal and how much are some legacy, perhaps race issues? There's definitely an undercurrent of racial tension and how much of that plays into the broader dysfunction. Um, It's a part for sure. I don't know that it's, it's the leading edge, but it often bubbles up. I mean, Flint's a city that, you know, lost 20% of its population in the past decade. And before that, we lost even bigger, bigger chunks over the years because of General Motors disinvestment here. Um, 
So you've kind of got that, that bubbling tension that the city's not doing well. Um, and there's a lot of competition among the council members to, who believe they have the way forward. And then you mix in a council that's divided politically, and then also they're divided racially. We have, you know, five members of council are black, four are white. It doesn't break down that way um, along racial lines very often uh, because there are, there's some other stuff going on under the surface. But um, race becomes a um, kind of a, a boiling point. Um, they'll be argue, council will be arguing for hours and then somebody will say something that someone will take the wrong way or that's just offensive and someone will call them on it. And so it, it gets pulled into this whole mix, right? And... Um, well, and then, and then they start throwing in rules of order or parliamentary stuff. And it that seems almost like to be used as, as personal tools or wedges, <laughs> you know, situationally to, to try to achieve something they want personally, rather than to try to make an orderly meeting. Maybe I'm wrong because I'm not sitting there in person. I'm reading our coverage or watching the videos, but it, it, it seems to be a lot of gamesmanship. Definitely. It's a, it's a power struggle. People, uh, people are smart enough or I don't know if that's the word for it, but um, they know the rules well enough to try and use them to the, their advantage to achieve whatever purpose they're, they're pushing towards Mays. Eric Mays is a, uh, he's a, he's an expert at that. And it gets on, it not only allows him to control the floor, of the council meeting, but it also just gets under the skin of the the people who are arguing with him. Um, but he's effective, and uh, it it works for him. He thinks, um, despite the fact that sometimes it ends with him being removed removed from a meeting. Um, it goes both ways, um, and the Flint City Council has gone, you know back to charm school kind of a couple of times. They've had outside sessions with um, experts in parliamentary procedure and so forth. And they tell them how the rules should be used and when to use a point of order and what's acceptable and what's not. The meeting comes around again and everybody goes back to those, those worse instincts, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, it just becomes a battle royale again. And Ryan, looking at Ann Arbor, I mean, if I don't want to draw broad conclusions, Ann Arbor tends seems to run okay as a city. <laughs> uh, I, I take issue with things like too many streets being constructed at the same time or whatever. Um, it's an it's an affluent city, and uh, uh, I think obviously there's U of M in both communities, but it really has a big presence in in both uh, the people who are drawn to live there and um, the amount of money that's in the community. But to what extent does the dysfunction prevent the, you know, the uh, quality governance? Uh, is, is, it, is it just an annoyance or is it actually preventing some things from getting done? I mean, yeah, I think at the end of the day, you know, even if it takes them several hours to get through the meeting, they, they still get through everything. They vote on everything they need to vote on. And, uh, you know, city staff then go carry out the work uh, following council policy direction and, 
um, yeah, I think many would say the job gets done. People can quibble over whether it's, you know, done the way they like it or not. But yeah, I don't think there's like huge, visible, massive signs of, of this, this, you know, Ann Arbor's failing. If, if you walk around town, I mean, yeah, I mean, streets are obviously in bad condition and, and that's something the city's putting, you know, an extra $15 million toward uh, in the next year here through a road bond. Um, so yeah, the, the crumbling streets are an issue, the, you know, lack of cleanliness downtown and without, without weekend, uh, dumpster service, uh, you know, has been an issue. So you, you see things like that, 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 you know, raise concerns, uh, you know, are we, are we, are we doing enough on, on these things? But, you know, Ann Arbor's does still also go beyond that and, you know, has a lot of progressive initiatives around affordable housing and climate action. So it's, it's doing, it's, it, maybe it spreads itself too thin sometimes, but it, it does try to do a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. How about in Flint, Ron? Uh, is there anything palpable that you could point to that looks like city you know, priorities are not being addressed because of political gridlock? I, I wouldn't take it that, that far, but um, I think things get done at a slower pace than they, than they otherwise would. Um, resolutions um, for for various things will come will come up and you'd expect that they'd go through they end up getting sent back to another committee that pe- people are wrestling if they don't want them to go forward to try and sidetrack them but um, sometimes it comes down to the last minute it seems like uh, up against a deadline to get something done it usually gets done uh, it's not as pretty as you would like and uh, the process for the public to be able to to follow what's going on, um, you know, to kind of those who are civic minded among us who, you know, tune in or attend the meetings in person, um, you know, they're, they're inconvenienced. The public is inconvenienced by it. And, you know, it has gotten to the point where the mayor uh, has issued e- executive orders saying, you know, the staff will not be available after 9 p.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, on a certain day uh, that the council meets. So um, the business tends to get done. It doesn't get done as fast as it probably should. And it's a lot messier um, than it needs to be. But in, in the end, it does get done. You touched on something, Ron, that I want to uh, was on my list of things to talk about anyway, so I'll put it to both of you. And that's the, what's the effect on professional staff and the ability to recruit and retain professional staff. And then, you know, Ryan and Ann Arbor, this kind of manifests both ways, both like, can you find qualified people? But then we've also gone through in the last few years, a couple of city managers, for instance, or legal staff, things of that nature, kind of like, seems like a meat grinder sometimes uh, to work in that political climate. Yeah, I mean, definitely uh, the the political turmoil in Ann Arbor over the last few years has led to um, a lot of just turbulence at City Hall. You know, council fired one of its city administrators a couple of years ago and then parted ways with another last year amid another controversy and strings of independent investigations into allegations. And, you know, that's it's been a rocky few years for Ann Arbor City government. And uh, we just Finally, last night, uh, council approved a new contract with the new city administrator that they hope is going to be a turning point. And this is a guy that came on uh, last October, Milton Dahoney, and he, he came on on an interim basis. And as of last night, he's now officially the permanent city administrator. So, you know, I had a story today uh, with comments from council members to the effect of, yeah, let's, 
you know, let's hope this is, you know, the end of our troubled times. And we have him, you know, steering the ship, uh, you know, steady for a while now. And, you know, with him, you know, in this new leadership position, can, can we finally recruit a new HR manager that'll stay, you know, a DEI officer to work on diversity initiatives? You know, the city's been trying to fill that position for the past year. So, yeah, it's definitely a, a hurt ability to recruit staff and keep staff. And Ron and Flint. Um, just this month, the mayor issued an executive order here prohibiting bullying in City Hall. Um, and that was directly, uh, well, it stemmed from at least um, what the mayor says is the city council's poor treatment of city employees. And um, at a meeting earlier this year uh, where Councilman Mays was censured, he was at um he was um, very aggressive in uh, questioning different city staff, um, and so that led that led to to this executive uh, order. I haven't had any a situation where anyone's uh, left or threatened to leave because they've been treated poorly, but this order um, addresses that directly. The, at least the mayor of Flint feels like um, the way that the council does its business amounts to bullying of, of other city staff. Mm -hmm. And I used to cover um, government and school boards and things like that. And each community, each board has its own dynamic. And in some places, you know, the, the, the councils or elected people really lean on staff and sort of have a trust relationship and, you know, they trust them to do their work. And then, you know, they, they vote and make their judgment based and others you have very activist elected people who try to, you know, steer outcomes or distrust what they're hearing. And I just in some of our coverage, and it depends on the individual, but I see strains of that where there's 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 a lack of trust sort of a relationship between elected officials and, and the professional staff. Yeah, I don't know if I have too much to add on that, but I just concur with Ron that, yeah, there is a, you know, city staff have expressed concerns at times in Ann Arbor here that, you know, that, you know, they're being micromanaged or, you know, just kind of, you know, count by council, you know, kind of overstepping, you know, their chain of command, you know, where they're supposed to go through the administrator and so forth. And council members do definitely express distrust of staff at times, you know, certain council members when it comes to, you know, maybe a road diet project where they're going to shrink the lanes of, of a, an automobile thoroughfare to put in bike lanes or something, you know, and some council members will question staff's judgment on that. So there's been council debate over who sh should we just leave this to staff and these issues shouldn't even come to council. Should council just stay out of these things? Well, we just had a story on uh, the last few days, Ryan, um, about a construction contract that the city staff recommended and they vetted the bids and everything and they got overruled. Now that happens, that happens in politics, but it led to a very far ranging debate and some interesting things. I'll just put a link in, in uh, the column podcast notes so people can read that story. But I think it's sort of emblematic of the factions and the sense is sort of an underlying sense of distrust uh, about people's motives or, or how these decisions are made. So, um, and, you know, I think it's empowering. These people are elected, uh, you know, and it, it, they get in there and they feel like, and Eric Mays is very, very vocal that he's representing the people who keep electing him in Flint. So he's not wrong there. Um, and I like to end on a, a constructive note and um, positive. And so I would ask each of you to just forward some, some thoughts you have about, how, you know, solutions sort of thing. How can this be addressed or 
Uh, I mean, you've, you've, they've tried retreats and they've tried facilitators and things of this nature, but any ideas on, uh, for the sake of our listeners on, on how these kind of toxic relationships or dysfunctional political relationships can be improved? I mean, it, it all comes down to just personalities clashing. I think, you know, at the end of the day, they can all agree, you know, we, we share these values and we want to achieve these goals and they, they disagree on how to get there. And it's just a lot of personality clashing. So, you know, if, if they can't work that out among themselves, uh, I think, you know, the solution is it's up to voters to decide who's going to represent them and which personalities they want. And, uh, you know, this is an election year where we've got the, the mayor's seat and five council seats up for grabs. So, you know, it'll be up to voters to de- decide how their city government is run for the next four years. That's kind of the rub, too, you know. Um, a broader audience may find something really distasteful that the city council does. But if I represent a particular ward in the city where I feel like, you know, I'm getting the short end of the stick out of city hall all the time, I like it when my councilman gets up and gets in somebody's face and, you know, argues this out. And um, yeah, I mean, it really does fall back to the voter and, and, and what kind of representative that, that, that they want. If they perceive that this guy's get, getting something for them, you know, sometimes even more so than for the greater city, a lot of times that's my guy or that's my woman. So um, a lot of it personality driven, um, a lot of it, you know, probably driven by the ward system of, of city government. Um, that's the way that the pieces have fallen into place here. You got nine individuals and um, no one's quite seeing things the, the same way right now. And I'll well, add to that, that uh, you know, disagreement and dissent does add to a healthy democracy. Obviously, we don't want a council that doesn't debate and just rubber stamps everything. So, you know, I think that's a, a point we should make here that, you know, as long as it doesn't get too ugly, which it does sometimes, you know, disagreement's a good thing. Can be can improve the, the end work product. All a part of the system. It's all how they they set it up in America, uh, representative democracy, and also how they set it up is that journalists will cover it and we'll sift through the ashes. <laughs> we'll find the the gems in there and we we'll try to give context to these things and not always just focus on the conflict or the drama, but the, get get into what is really happening and, and the reasons behind that and the outcomes. So toward that end. I'm very appreciative to you, the work you do, Ryan and Ron, and also very grateful you join us today on Behind the Headlines. Thanks, John. Thank you. And there they go. Big thanks to Ron and Ryan for jumping in today on the episode. And as always, if you like what John and I are doing, like, comment, and share wherever you get your podcasts. Till next week, he is John Heiner. I am Eric Halkerin, and this is Behind the Headlines.